If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis. You know, we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, and you know, there's always so much to be thankful for. We Oftentimes, the Bible tells us we need to be thankful, and that requires us to take inventory of how God's blessed us. And you know, uh, once again, when we consider that if we're not thankful for what we have, we're not going to be thankful for what we get, we recognize that thankfulness is a condition of the heart. And so this morning, I just pray that uh, at this time of Thanksgiving, and how sad it is, at this time nationally in which Abraham Lincoln declared the uh, last Thursday of the month in November to be Thanksgiving Day, that so much of America today doesn't even know who to thank for their blessings. How, How sad is that? It shows how far we've fallen from what we originally were intended to be. You know, we're talking about that today. And we've been going through the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it means the beginning of all things. And we saw that God had made the heavens, the earth, everything. And he says it was very good. I like that. Well, I wish we could have stopped right there at the end of chapter two, but we move on to chapter three today. Now in chapter three, we find the fall of man. This is the thing that has troubled man since the beginning. And uh, there's a lot to be learned here. Uh, I believe not only concerning who God is, that he didn't snuff us all out, but actually who man is and our tendency to blame others for what we do. And so we look at this. Now, once again, want to remind everybody, if you're not doing anything on Wednesday night, six o'clock, We've got a great uh, time of fellowship here, dinner for everyone. So if you want to come and be a part of that, I think you'll enjoy that here on this Thanksgiving week. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and show us, God, again, how much we need you. And so as we now go to your word, may you speak to us through it. And may you cause us to remember these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God saw everything was very good. I like that about God. When God makes things, he makes things good. The problem is we have man entered into the situation which does not always follow God. And that's where the problems not only came in the garden, but come in our own personal lives. Verse 1 of chapter 3 starts off, says, Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made, And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the first thing we find here, we find that this creature, whatever it was, before it was cursed to the ground to slither on its belly, was something pretty interesting looking. I don't know if it stood upright. I don't know if it could kind of hover in the air. I don't know if it was covered with lights. But whatever it was, it was different than all the other creatures. Now, remember this. God made everything and it was very good. So I believe God put man in a garden with a great, great place. But evidently, this serpent, whatever it was before it was cursed to the ground, The devil used it to speak through it. Now we find in the book of Luke and other places in the gospel where the demons went into the pigs and the pigs ran over the cliff. Is it possible for demonic forces to possess 
animals. I, I believe it is. And I think we find this, uh, maybe not for very long, but certainly uh, when the pigs ran over the cliff, there's a good illustration of it. So evidently, the devil possessed whatever this very unique creature was and began to speak to Eve through it. Now, something I think is important. We don't know how many months, days, years, decades, or centuries between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I think that's really important because people have often asked, when did Satan fall from heaven? His position, you might say. We know the Bible says that Satan goes before the brethren and he accuses them day and night. So we know his access to heaven has not yet been revoked. That happens halfway through the book of Revelation, chapter 12, where Satan's access to heaven is finally removed. He can no longer go to heaven and accuse the brethren uh, before, before God concerning all of us. But his access to heaven yet has not been denied. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So this great fall that he took, where he came down evidently on this earth, the Bible says that God made everything good. I don't think God would have made a good earth with a devil in it. But evidently somewhere between chapter 2 and chapter 3, evidently this is when Satan fell, from what I can tell by reading the scripture. The Bible doesn't say for sure, but we know the garden was good. It was very good. And then we find now this creature called the serpent possessed, literally, is the one that's now seducing Eve. So why is that? Well, we've talked a lot about this before. God made Satan, the Bible says, before he was Satan, um, the cherub that covereth in chapter 14 of Isaiah. But we know that he said, I will ascend and be as the most high God. What caused Satan and a third of the stars to fall with him? I'm not sure. But I do believe it has something to do with us humankind. The Bible said he was going to make humans a little lower than the angels. I don't think that bothered the devil. I don't think that bothered the other angels in heaven. But then the Bible says those that choose to follow him, he was going to elevate above the angels. And that may be very much the thing that caused pride to enter Lucifer's heart. And the Bible tells us that he was cast out. I think the devil and the demons have had it out for human beings ever since the beginning. And that's why you'll often see, and I remember one time uh, a friend of mine, we would, would talk and we'd see where the devil had just gotten into somebody's life and destroyed him and they lost everything and their health was failing because of the drugs and the alcohol. And he'd look over at me and he'd say, some of Satan's finest handiwork. And that's true. He's been killing human beings ever since the beginning. Don't ever think you as a human being are not at enmity with the devil. We're going to get into that a little bit more when we read on here. So it says the serpent was more cunning. Now remember, the serpent at this point wasn't a slithery thing. That happened after he was cursed. But this being, whatever it was, evidently was not intimidating to Eve at all. And what is also interesting here is that it may not initially been a, a foe. Uh, in other words, the devil taking possession of this creature, speaking to Eve through it. And it says, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? 
Now that's the first lie. That's not what was said. We know that the, you could eat of every tree except one. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, nor shall you touch it was added in either by Eve or by Adam. We don't know which one it was, but this is what she said to the serpent. Now, what's important here The command was never given to the woman. The command was given to man before Eve was even created, going back to chapter 2. And so he says, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Isn't that amazing? The devil's been lying to humankind ever since. You shall not surely die. Well, this is what the devil tells everybody today. Live your life however you want. You're not going to die. Yet the truth of the matter is, friends, none of us are promised tomorrow. We're a heartbeat away from eternity. You're one breath away from stepping out of this world and into another place, either heaven or hell. Everybody makes that decision. So the serpent said, you shall not surely die. He lied to Eve. He's been lying to mankind ever since. God knows in the day that you eat of it, God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, it isn't that God, knowing good from evil, it's that man, when we ate of the tree, we would then realize how evil we are. And I think this is an important part of understanding exactly what happened. Somebody asked one time, where was man when Eve ate of the tree? And I asked that question years ago when we were downtown and this woman puts up her hand and she says, I think he must have been watching television. Well, interestingly enough, the Bible tells us where man was when Eve, when Adam uh, was, when Eve ate of the tree. We'll read this. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. Now here it is. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. He was with her watching her do this. Now, again, this kind of uh, goes back to the whole thing of the man being the protector of the household, being the protector of Eve. And I don't know what Adam was doing, watching her eat of this tree, talking to this creature and just saying, here, eat this. Okay, you know, they're all having the buffet around the tree, you know. But the problem is, is that he watched her do it. He did not take care of her. And so it was, notice again, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. You know, it's interesting in 1 Peter chapter 2, John records for us there's three things that will destroy a person. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And you'll notice these first three are mentioned right here. First, we have the lust of the eye. And when she saw that the tree was good for food, she perceived that it was good. She did not know it was good. Here's where the great problem comes. When God says something is not good for you, and yet we say, well, no, God, I know more than you do because it appears to me to be okay. Man, I'll tell you, that's where we get in trouble, isn't it? 
When we think we know more than God because we value, we make our judgments upon our perception of something rather than God's perception of something. See, God knows more about life than we do. God knows more about the lifestyle than we do. God knows more about uh, the things that God has told us not to do than we do. We say, oh, well, instant gratification, instant satisfaction. It's got to be good because I think it's good. This is one of the great problems with the positive confession movement. You see, it wasn't really what God said. It was what man says. I want this regardless of what God wants. That's not really truthfully what we want. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I repeat this almost every Sunday because that's the focal point of Christianity. It's not what I want and I visualize and what I think is best for me. It's what God says is best for me and for his kingdom. So he says the first thing, the lust of the eye and woman saw that the tree was good for food, at least in her estimation. That it was pleasant to the eye. It looks good. It must be good. This is a dangerous place to be. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. I want that. You see, it doesn't matter what God wants for us. It's what I want. Well, the problem is what I want may not be good for me. You know, you take a little kid. You know what? They'll eat... Believe me, if you've got kids or you've got grandkids, you know this. They will eat the entire bag of Halloween candy all in one night. It's amazing to me. You've got to stop them. You can't eat all that sugar. Man, they're, you know, they're UFOs. They're ricocheting off every wall in your house. And you're going, what is wrong with you? Well, the thing is, they did what they felt they wanted to do. And so, again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. And then also it says that the tree was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. That's what what gets so many people is pride. You see, really, it isn't what others think of you, and it isn't what you think of you. Well, you know, you need to have a positive self-image. Have you heard that? Not really. What you better have is what God thinks of you, not what you think of you. Because our senses, our friends, our society, our culture can lie to you and make you think you're something that you're not. Well, now, if you wash your teeth with shiny bright, you'll be foxy. (laughs) Do you like me yet? Or if you drive the new Americanus Maximus Lord with tinted glass and airco, hey, you're going to be styling. Our identity, the devil always tries to get us beliefs, comes from something external. Now, it is true, there is one external thing that will make the difference. It's God's love for you. It's not self-esteem, it's Christ-esteem. It's what God says about you. For God so loved the world, loved you, he sent his only begotten son. Why is that important? Because, you see, the Bible tells us that we are loved by our creator. But the world says you are not loved unless you do something. The pride of life. 
And that's what the pride of life, when she saw that it would make one wise. What is the thing that dupes people, especially in every single aspect of our life, that something you do is going to make? Well, I have the pedigree on the wall. I have my diploma with the shiny star. Oh, and this makes you something. Well, it might make you an educated fool. Doesn't necessarily mean you're wise because somebody else says you cross the I's and and and. <laughs> dotted the T's. You see, that's the problem. We believe that what people say about us is where we get our identity from, the pride of life. And so she saw that it would make one wise, and so she ate. And she also gave it to her husband with her. This with her is probably one of the most unusual little couple of words in the Bible. He watched his wife implode. I don't understand that. I I do believe that in a relationship, if you can, now some women won't listen. The man should be the leader and the head of the household. If you cannot honor a man to be the leader and the head of the household, in Jesus' name, don't marry him. Because the thing is, that's part of your protection that God has done. Some women are rebellious and they don't want. We're going to talk about that when we get to the curse here in a few minutes. But it's so important because the thing is, is that if you can't trust someone to lead, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble. Notice verse 7, it says, The eyes of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Fig leaves are probably one of the most scratchy, large leaves made that God designed. Have you ever had those, those leaves that got kind of like little hooks in them? It's, that's the way a fig leaf is. They're big. That was the advantage because they didn't have to sew too many of them together like you would like off an elm tree. But the thing is, these were big leaves, real scratchy, and they tried their best to cover themselves. Now, you see, something did happen because they did move into the knowledge of evil. They knew that they had rebelled against God and they were trying to make up for it. You know, it's interesting. I've talked to so many people over the course of a lifetime, especially people that I know, they go out, tear it up on Friday, Saturday night, and they said, yeah, we went out and partied down. We were doing this and we were doing that, all kinds of unspeakable things. And they said, I came home and I tried to take a shower to wash that feeling off. Isn't that weird? You're trying to get it off of you. You know, what, what's really interesting when you study about Jesus and, and what he's doing for us, that he has got garments for us. There's a story Jesus gave uh, about uh, uh, people in heaven. And one of the questions was, how did this guy get in here without a garment on? You see, there's a lot of parallels between now us in the condition we're in and being clothed in his righteousness. There's a lot of interesting talk in the Bible, verses about your wardrobe as a Christian. The Bible says he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. That is implying garment. That's implying your covering. By the way, how do we get spots and wrinkles in our garments? Two things. One, sloppy eating habits is, I found, a good way to get spots on your garment. In fact, I think one of the prerequisites for Italian food is you have to be able to wear it as well as eat it. 
Number two, wrinkles. How do you get wrinkles in garments? I found the best way is by setting on them. You see, God's called us to be active. But you look and see how many verses in the Bible pertain in, in being born again to our new robes of righteousness, our, our outer clothing, our garment. God wants us to be clothed in his righteousness. They tried to cover themselves in their own works. You know, you can never cover yourself with your own works. It just doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is because we, we know there's something wrong, but we don't know how to fix it. This is one of the great things about being born again. See, and a lot of people say, well, when you're born again, does, does like the pastor give you a list of everything you need to stop doing and everything you need to start doing? No, not really. Because God deals with the conditions of the heart. God deals with the problem, not with the symptom. Why do people drink? Well, they want to alter themselves primarily, or two, they want to fit in with the club. Well, when you're a Christian, you no longer have to fit in with them because you're accepted by your Father in heaven. You don't need to drink. Number two, you don't have to drink to forget. What's the old joke? Why do elephants drink? They want to forget. Well, this is the problem. Well, when you realize that God forgives our sins, he deals with the problem. It doesn't just deal with the symptom. You see, and this is what the way it is with everything, the way God works. He addresses the issue. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people would rather just have a Band-Aid put on it or give me another pill or something else like that. But God addresses the heart of the matter. He knows what you need. And so people trying to sew their own fig leaves together are trying to cover their own symptom. And no matter what a person does to cover the symptom of sin in their life, it never removes it because only Jesus can remove the problem. The Bible tells us that what happened here that we're reading is so important to understand the full nature of man. This goes beyond any Freud or Jung or any of the psychology books. This is what is wrong with man. It isn't that people, when they were children, heard a lot of negative things and they just became a negative person. It's that there's something deeply wrong with men. That's why when they, uh, Nicodemus, this religious guy, he was religion. He knew religion. But he came to Jesus by night. Now, I don't know if it, he had to wait till he got off of work and it was daylight saving time or not, but he came to him by night. Maybe he was just didn't want anybody to know that he was going to talk to Jesus. Maybe he was too embarrassed what everybody might say, seeing him go to Jesus. So he went by night. And Jesus looked at him and he said, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. This is where God comes into our life. Our sins are forgiven. We go, wow, I'm free finally. And now all of a sudden there's a change in the way I look at life, in the way I do things. It isn't that I got a list again from the pastor. Now stop doing all these things and start doing all these things. It's that there was a change within me that I realized if my sins are forgiven, I'm free from trying to run from my sins. The second thing is, when I've been accepted by God, you're in. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. When you're accepted by the best, who cares about the rest? 
And so notice it says, they'd sewed these leaves together to make coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. Literally, this is uh, when, the, when the light winds in the afternoon begin to blow. It's kind of an interesting way of saying it, but uh, when you get this from the actual Hebrew, it implies when the cool winds begin to blow in the evening. And this is when God came, <clears throat> as he always had done, and Adam and, his, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, first, let's look at a couple of things. Did God not know where Adam was? Ooh, we're playing hide and seek and you're getting really good at this. Well, or, or was it that God was asking the question not because he didn't know, it's because they didn't know. Don't you hate that when somebody asks you a question and it isn't because they don't know, it's because we don't know. If you've ever been lost on a less traveled highway, traveled by many, forgotten by few, and somebody says, where are you? Like your wife. I think the question isn't so much, where are we, honey, as much as, honey, where, do you, where are we going? Do you know where we're going? God asked the question, where are you? I think this question is probably one of the greatest calls to repentance that there is in the world. Where are you? Where are you in this life? Where are you in regards to where you've been 10 years ago? Where are you in regards to where you were 20 years ago? Where are you concerning the future? Do you want another 20 years, 10 years like you've just had? Or is there something else that maybe God wants to do in your life? See, I think this question, where are you, is really important because it causes for self-analytical situation. We have to say, okay, where am I? What am I doing? Am I on the wrong road of life? Where am I? You know, I think if more people ask, was asked this question, or maybe I should say God allowed this question to be asked of them, I think you'd find a lot more people changing their lifestyle. Where are you? Do, do you want another 10 years like you just had? Do you want another five years like you just had? I asked that question one time, at the end of a service. And I said, if you want to come up here and receive Jesus, we prayed. She come running up. She said, the very thought of another five years like I just had just freaked me out. It was that bad. I don't think it's a bad question. I don't think, mom, dad, it's a bad question to ask your kids. Where are you? And I don't mean, well, I'm sitting in the living room, dad. Can't you see me? No, I'm not talking about that. Where are you on the road of life? I think this is what God asked the question. Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Whoa. We got a problem here. Actually, we got a compound problem. 
The man said, the woman you gave me. Now, I don't know whether it's your problem, God, or her problem. You duke it out and let me know what comes out. This is called shifting the buck. And this, and, and, and I, ladies, you got to understand this about men. We've been doing this a long time. And some of us are pretty doggone good at it, ain't we? Why did you buy that? I needed it. What did you need it for? I don't know, but I'll come up with something. Give me a little more time. We're good at excuses. That's the number one thing about men. We, we just are. Why did you do it? I don't know. She made me do it. Well, this is it. This is the bottom line of what's wrong with man. We don't want to own up to what we do. See, what's one of the things if we'll confess our sins? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in order to confess my sins, I have to own up to my sins. Interesting story in the Bible. Children of Israel are traveling on the way to the promised land. And the Bible says they were murmuring and complaining against Moses continually. And so the Bible says God sent on the people serpents. And they began to bite the people. And they went to Moses and they said, Moses, we we think God's bummed with us because of these serpents. What's really weird in the the original language, uh, the, the word for serpent there is like flying fiery serpents. I don't know what that's all about. But, you know, if I saw something, you know, I'd say, well, I'd say we're in trouble here. Came to Moses and they said, Moses, what do you do? God went, prayed. God told him to wrap a bronze serpent. And by the way, bronze brass in the Bible is the medal of judgment. Wrap it around a pole. And when the people get bitten by these serpents, if they'll come and look at the serpent on the pole, they'll live. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says some wouldn't look at it. And I like that stupid thing. And they died. But why would God want people to come and look at a representation of God's judgment as a snake on a pole? And by the way, that's where you get that uh, medical thing. If you ever, you know, like you go to the doctor and they have the, the serpent on the pole, that's where it came from. Because it was medicinal. By the, t- by the way, they continue to worship this thing, this uh, serpent on a pole, till the time of King Hezekiah. And th- this was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Hezekiah took the serpent on the pole and he smashed it and he said Nehushtan, a thing of brass is all he said it was. You see, they began to worship the pole and the snake on the pole rather than what God was trying to get them to do. And that was if we'll face our serpent, if we'll face what brought this serpent on us, God will heal us. And God healed those people. And so here we find mankind, in a way, being bitten by a snake. And when God asked man, where are you? Who told you you were naked? 
we find man offering excuse instead of God, I'm sorry, I ate of the tree. I often wonder if, if man would have said that if we'd all still be there today. But he said, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree to eat. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, that serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, there's a problem here. It isn't me, Adam. It isn't Eve. It's that devil. Well, indirectly, yeah, it was. But you don't have to do what the devil says to do. That's the big problem. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says it's not within man to live righteously. It just isn't. You look at your kids. What's wrong with you? Old sin nature. It's what it is. And it doesn't matter, it seems, whether they're three years old or 35 years old. We just get a little better in the way we mask it. But we're always blaming somebody else for what we do wrong. Well, here you find Eve was now doing the same thing, blaming the serpent. Rather than her saying, hey, I'm sorry I ate of the tree. No. The woman said, that serpent deceived me, and I ate. And that is true. The serpent did deceive Eve. Um, Adam knew full well what he was doing. He ate of the tree. God had told him not to eat of the tree. Again, before Eve was ever created, don't eat of the tree. Uh, We don't, again, know how long that was. But the thing is, he's told not to eat of the tree. Now we find serpent deceived her. Yes, and this is one of the reasons why, if you fast forward to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, why women should not be senior pastors in a church. Because Paul says it was the woman who was deceived. Man did it willfully. Yeah, I know I'm doing this wrong. Give me that. But the woman, she was deceived. Well, he says here, God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. Now here's what, this is interesting. He says, and I will put enmity or strife or a a division between you and woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We find uh, John 8 talks about this very thing. Here's the first promise of a Messiah. Now, there's a couple of really interesting things here. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, women don't like snakes. At least normal ones don't. It's weird. You ever seen TV? You know, there, you know television is like... like a window into the madness of the world. Have you ever noticed that? They have some women with a snake wrapped around. I remember a story. I, 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 it's called The Ram's Horn. It's an old magazine that was made about, 18, uh, about 1886, something like that. It was over at the Filer uh, flea market. And a lady had a bunch of these, and the pinpoint art was really neat. And I thought, that's really neat. I'm going to get a couple of those. And they weren't very much money. Now, in retrospect, I wish I'd have bought all that this this, uh, vendor had. And so I got to looking at it, and I began to read it. And I realized this was a Christian publication 
Kind of like a, a, a Christianity today of its year. And I began to read through some of the stories that were in this magazine. And, and one of them was about a guy in, in, in England who was part of a circus. And he had gotten this boa constrictor when, he was, uh, when, when it was a baby. And he always nurtured it and he always did these things. Well, he got where he could do tricks with this thing. And he became part of the circus. And so what he would do is the, the thing would come and the serpent would come out of, the, out of the cage. And it would come and wrap around him. And, you know, and everybody was gasping. And he'd go... And the thing would uncoil itself and go back into the cage. And oh, to the, the applause of the crowds. Oh, this was amazing. Until one time, the serpent comes out, as it had always done before, wrapped around him. And he went, but it didn't let go. In fact, the, the, it said in the article that the people in the audience could hear the bones crushing of this person as the bow and constrictor just got tighter and tighter and tighter. And the story went on and says, that's the way sin is. You think you got a handle on the, on the serpent until one day it turns on you and crushes you. And I thought, what an interesting story, whether it's in 1886 or where we all started back was the first serpent encounter with man, or whether the end one where he'll finally be destroyed, the devil is out to destroy us. Here we find God giving a prophecy concerning the Messiah that would come. Notice again, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Wait a minute, hold it just one second here. Women don't have seed. That's the guy's part of the procreative force. But here it says that her seed will bring forth one that will bruise the serpent's head. Yes, the serpent will bruise his heel in that Jesus died on the cross. But ultimately in that death, because of woman, the Bible says that Satan's head, a mortal wound, would finally transpire. Satan was destroyed on the cross. That mortal wound where Satan's head was, was destroyed. And the woman said, and to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrows and conception, your conception, and in pain you will bring forth children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, you read this, your desire shall be for your husband. Guys go, ooh, that sounds good. She wants my baby. But that's not in the Hebrew the way it reads. Let me read you more of what it says in the Hebrew. Your desire shall be for your husband's position. Hmm. This creates a problem, doesn't it? That's why being in a Christian family is so important. Now, friends, there's a lot of things that go on sometimes in Christian families that are not very good. In fact, sometimes Christian marriages are harder than worldly marriages, not because the devil's just chipping away at you, but for other reasons. I knew a couple one time that says, she said to her husband, I can treat you however I want to. You can't leave me. You're a Christian. Tragic. To say that I can treat you however I want, you can't leave me because you're a Christian. 
basically says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm in control here. You see, that's what ends families. You get a headstrong woman in your life, not one that wants to submit to authority. Friends, that's a bad thing. The Bible says you can only go one direction if you both are going the same direction. If you're wanting to go as a man, go one direction, and the woman wants to go someplace else, it's going to tear you apart. And this is what happens today. 150 years ago, people pretty much had understood what the woman's role and the man's role was. Now, I'm not trying to get back to the Victorian age or trying to, you know, um, uh, male supremacy or, you know, not not having women uh, equal with men. What I'm talking about here is how God's design was. And we can say, well, I don't believe that. I want to do what I want to do. Okay, you can do that. But I'll tell you one thing, you ain't going to be happy. Because God designs things to work a certain way. That's why you have an owner manual in your car. It says you need to change the oil every so many thousand miles and you need to get it greased and lubed and all those kinds of things. Why? Because that's the way it was designed to work. And you can take the marriage manual, the Bible, and throw it out of a marriage. And I can guarantee you, you're not going to last very long. But it requires two. It takes two to make a marriage, only one to make a divorce. And this is one of the problems. And if you end up with a headstrong person, first of all, as a man who doesn't regard God, you got a problem. Because he's riding, running blindly into those things that he does not know which will kill him, hurt him, or destroy all of you. The second thing is, if you have a headstrong woman, even calling themselves a Christian, they can create great grief in your life. 150 years ago, men pretty much knew a man's role. A woman pretty much knew a woman's role. Today, we don't even know what bathroom to go into. Think we got a universalistic problem here? I think so. Notice it says... There's going to be a seed from woman that's going to destroy Satan's work. That's Jesus. That's what he offers you today. All the things, the excuses, the, the, the things that we have done in our lives to somehow identify ourselves, to make us valuable. Well, look, I'm, I, I, I'm supposed to be doing really good. I went to Ivy League schools and, and I got all the diplomas and I drive this kind of car. And I wash my teeth with shiny bright, I'm somebody. No, you're not. You're only what God says you are. And either you're a chosen child of his, or the Bible says you're a child without a father. And today as I see so many kids at school as you drive by, whether it's an elementary school or a high school, and you see some of the strange way people are, I look at that and I go, that, that poor kid doesn't have a parent, doesn't have a dad that loves him. Because I know if I dressed like that, my dad would have killed me. You see, this is the problem, friends. We, we've, we've, we've gone off God's pattern. And when we're off of God's pattern, you're always going to find a heartache. This morning, great news. Satan's head's been bruised. It's a mortal wound. He no longer has control over you. Always keep you between Jesus, Jesus between you and the devil. Always keep Jesus between you and the, and the serpent. And you're always going to be well. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, 
And you say, I don't want another five years like I just had. I don't want another 10 years like I just had. I would invite you today to pray this prayer and ask God to come into your life and, and ask him for your forgiveness. The Bible says he will if you'll ask. You see, it's not rules and regulations. You're abandoning rules to come into a relationship with God who loves you that'll take these things out of your life that cause us to do the weird stuff that we do. In other words, he gets rid of the problem and stops treating the symptom. And that's all the world can ever do is treat a symptom because only Jesus removes the problem. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, you've seen you made a whole lot of excuses for your lifestyle. I would just invite you this morning, abandon that, come to Jesus, let him set you free. For this reason, Christ died, but also for this reason, Christ rose from the dead that you can have new life. If you say, okay, I've had enough. Uncle, what do I do? Pray this. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry for the reckless way that I have lived. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. To make me the best I can be for you. I believe you died on the cross for me. So take away all my sins and let me live for you each day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and write my name in your book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. You did that. Welcome to God's family. And I'd just like to invite you today. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. I've got a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I'd like to give you just, just to help you. It just answers a lot of questions. A little book called Time to Grow. I'd like to give you that. I think you'll be blessed by it. We'll have a baptism. You can get baptized. And let God do what he wants to do in your life. You see, he loves you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to restore you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. You've got a good God. Let him be good to you. Put yourself in the place where God will bless you. The Bible says he will. And you're the one that will grow and change. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to start reading in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Start in John chapter 3 and just read and let God speak to you every day because that's going to make the difference in your life. Let God heal you. He will. This morning, if you've never, never uh, um, even thought about God, I pray that from this day on you will. And maybe think about Thanksgiving and what God's put in your life and take inventory and say, God, how can I use these things to further your kingdom? You know, God will do those things because you've asked him. Father, for every person that said yes to you, in this room, listening around the world on the internet, Lord, we pray that you would just bring about your perfect will in our lives. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, that we can lay our excuses at your feet and just say, Lord, sorry, now rebuild me in Jesus' name. And Lord, knowing you will. So, Father, for each person here, and this week as we gather with friends and family, and Lord, may you open our mouths and may we be able to share who we need to be thankful to for the things that we have. And God, may your Holy Spirit guide us and direct us in Jesus' name, amen.